3: newt gingrich
2: infinity presents a new chapter in luxury
3: on well, this episode of Newt's World. We're coming back and we're coming back strong. We built the greatest economy anywhere in the world. We're gonna build it again, we're gonna build it fast. It's gonna go very quickly.
1: This economy is really coming back strong.
3: Look, the president built the world's best economy once, and he's already doing it again. We've already
2: recovered half of the jobs lost to the coronavirus. If you were to project it from here linearly, you'd get to April of next year, where we would have recovered 100% of the economic activity.
3: I'm really delighted to have Andy Positor with us today because I've known Andy for the entire Trump presidency, and he has a knack of explaining how markets work, how free enterprise works. His instincts on the economy have been, I think, 100% right. Every time he writes an article, I read it because I'm fascinated with what he's learning. Andy, okay. it is just great to have you with us. But I wanna start back at the beginning because you earned your insights into free market economics by being in a free market. I mean, you're not a theoretician. You're somebody who actually went out, ran companies, made money, I suspect on occasion lost money. Has a background so people can realize how really rich your understanding of the American system is. Could you share just a little bit of your work experience so people will realize you're talking from practical down-to-earth, real knowledge about how the country works.
4: Uh, sure, I'd be glad to, And Thanks for having me on, and thank you for the kind words as well. My first paying job was scooping ice cream at a Baskin-Robbins when I was 16 years old. Got a driver's license so I could get to a job. To get through college and law school, I worked every dirty job you can think of. I painted houses, I cut lawns, I busted up concrete with a jackhammer one summer in St. Louis, Missouri, as I was finishing my first year of law school. I then went on to law school, became a trial lawyer for about 13, 14 years, and then ended up representing individuals I'd met through my trial practice. I did commercial law, so I met some wealthy individuals and became attorneys for these individuals and for their companies, one of which was Carl Karcher, who owned the Carl's Jr. restaurant chain at the time. And I couldn't try cases anymore once I got these clients because you can't say to a Client. I'm going to see in a month I have a trial. You have to pay more attention to what they're doing. And I got to learn a lot about the intricacies of business. I ended up representing Bill Foley, who was the CEO of Fidelity National Title. And I said, Carl and Carl's Jr. Morris Shanker, who ran the Dunes Hotel in Las Vegas. So got a lot of practical experience. And then in the year 2000, when Carl's Jr. got in trouble because they bought a restaurant chain called Hardee's, which was much bigger than Carl's Jr., and the integration of the two brands did not go very smoothly. I think the board of directors said, let's see if the cocky lawyer can fix it, because I've been giving him my advice all along. They put me in charge and we saved the company. We took a company that was on the verge of bankruptcy and turned it into a chain with about 3,800 restaurants in 45 states and 40 foreign countries, all from a hot dog cart that Carl Karcher bought in 1941. That's how the company started but I've done everything from work a minimum wage job to be the CEO of an international corporation.
3: Free markets are like movie pictures. They're not like a Polaroid snapshot. You just described a guy who starts out in 1941 with one hot dog stand and ends up with 3,100 stores. Now, that's a dynamic that doesn't fit the sort of classic bureaucratic way of thinking. And yet it's the dynamic that it seems to me has made America the economically most successful country in the world.
4: I would agree with that hundred uh, percent. But Carl's a great example. Here's a guy with an eighth grade education, buys a hot dog cart. By the time I met him and was his lawyer, he had a half a billion dollar publicly traded company. That's the American story. It's people like Carl or people like me. I'm from a working class family in Cleveland, Ohio. And I ended up having to work my way through college and law school. I didn't have government help. I didn't have family help. But I was able to continue... Moving forward, I never was resentful of people that had help, either from the government or their family, because I always knew that when I took the next step, it was up to me whether I went further. It wasn't up to the government. It wasn't up to anybody else. And I always felt like I had opportunities open to me. And that's America. America is about those opportunities.
3: Well, having lived and worked through it, what was your sense of the eight years of the Obama-Biden economic policies?
4: They were a disaster, and it was a disaster mostly for working Americans. You know, the stock market did okay. If you were rich, if you were wealthy, if you owned land or you owned stock, you probably did okay. The people that did not do okay were working class Americans. And in fact, when Obama left office, we had 1.9 million more people unemployed than we had job openings. Wages hadn't hit 3% growth for seven and a half years uh, since the end of the recession, And people were leaving the labor force, unable to find good-paying jobs, unable to find jobs at all, let alone good-paying jobs. Employers weren't competing for employees. It was employees who were competing for jobs. And that caused stagnation. And you didn't see the kind of growth we should have seen coming out of a recession. Milton Friedman pointed out in the early 1960s, the deeper the recession, the stronger the recovery. And you'll hear a lot of Democrats say, oh, that recession was so deep. It was so tough for Obama. Well, the deeper the recession, the stronger the comeback should be. It's really just the opposite. As President Trump has recently just proved with a very deep recession.
3: The degree to which this is a V-shaped recovery, and they're now talking about maybe 32 or 33% growth in the third quarter, which would be astonishing. Yep. Now it's off of an artificial collapse imposed by government, but it's still astonishing. When we started down this road, I went and got Grant's book on the Depression of 1920-21, 20, which is a very V-shaped depression, actually comes off of a pandemic, the Spanish flu. The system goes straight down for about 14 months and then goes straight back up for about 12 months. I actually called Grant and talked about it because it happened so fast, it created no cultural memory. I mean, people didn't think of it as nothing like the Great Depression. What we had with Obama and Biden. Wasn't a great depression, but it was a great disappointment. It was year after year of subnormal operation based on the American model. I love the title of your book, The Capitalist Comeback, because in a way, Trump represented the revitalization of the system that made us so extraordinarily successful for the last 250 years. From the day he was elected, how fast was he able to send signals that entrepreneurs and investors? And small business owners could pick up on.
4: The very day he was elected the signal went out. The National Federation of Independent Businesses has a poll every month on business optimism. And it goes up three to four percentage points immediately upon the president being elected. It went to historically high territory and it stayed there until the pandemic. Consumer sentiment zoomed, everybody knew that President Trump was going to come in. And number one, he promised to slash regulations and he did it even to a greater extent than he promised. He promised to cut taxes. He did. He promised to renegotiate trade agreements to get them to be fairer, And he promised to focus on domestic energy production. He did all of those things. Investors knew it right away. Businesses knew it right away and began to invest.
3: And didn't that then draw people back into the labor pool?
4: Well, you know, I gave you the example a minute ago about President Obama and more people unemployed than job openings and no wage growth. By March of 2018, under President Trump, the number of job openings exceeded the number of people unemployed for the first time since the government began tracking the data back in 2000. So for the first time really in 18 years, we had more job openings than people unemployed. It stayed that way for 24 months. And for 17 of those months, we had over a million more people unemployed than we had job openings. That's a complete turnaround from what Obama left for President Trump. And Obama didn't have a single month where the number of job openings exceeded people unemployed. Then starting in August of 2018, so we're really just in the first year of the tax cuts here. By August of that year, wage growth hits 3%. It stays at or above 3% for 20 consecutive months until the pandemic. And wages grow more for blue-collar workers than they do for white-collar workers. Well, with more job openings and higher wages, people started coming out of the woodwork to take these jobs. In fact, in the fourth quarter of 2019, about 71% of the people who took jobs, who became employed, came from outside the labor force. They didn't come from the ranks of the unemployed who were considered in the labor force. They came from outside the labor force. These were people who gave up under President Obama and Vice President Biden, and came back in under President Trump because of the incredible job growth and labor market he created. He took the worst recovery since World War II from an economic recession and turned it into perhaps the greatest labor market ever, and certainly the greatest labor market since the Great Depression.
3: It strikes me, and it's something Stephen Moore's written about, that we're having a great experiment right now because the Majority of the blue states have governors who are petty dictators, who have kept their state artificially closed down. Majority of the red states have governors who actually believe in free enterprise and have opened their states up. And the difference in unemployment and the difference in economic growth between the two models is almost a laboratory study in which system works.
4: It is, and in fact, if you look at the numbers from August, the unemployment numbers, we don't have September yet, but in August, We had 10 states with unemployment, 6% or under. Nine of them had Republican governors, and the one that didn't have a Republican governor was Montana, which is a very conservative state. If you look at the 10 worst states for unemployment rate, nine of them had Democrat governors. This was all over 10% unemployment, including New York, New Jersey, California, Illinois. The one state that didn't have a Republican governor was very liberal Massachusetts, the dynamics of this are very, very obvious. It's underreported, it's undercovered, it's not going to get the coverage that it deserves to get because it's very favorable to President Trump and very unfavorable to the Democrats and Joe Biden.
3: Hi, this is Newt. I want to invite you to sign up for a yearly subscription to my Inner Circle Membership Club. We're in a critical time in our history where the outcome of the next election will set us in a course of two very different American futures. As a member of my inner circle, you'll receive exclusive invitations to join my video conferences with 2020 election updates and my analysis of the upcoming presidential debates. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. Join my inner circle today at newtsinnercircle.com And if you sign up for a one or two year membership, you'll receive a limited edition Inner Circle Challenge coin, exclusive to 500 members only as part of your membership welcome package. And as an Inner Circle member, you'll receive an invitation to attend my members only event, Live with Newt, a discussion on the next presidential debate. And there are many other benefits of membership. Sign up for a one or two year membership today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. That's NewtsInnerCircle.com.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/slash investing in America.
1: Hey, Sarah! I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. Omg, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
2: Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only. And that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O.
3: Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path. And now you can own a piece of that history. I am thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the Welfare System and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online.
0: United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN.
3: My thesis is that the country has to choose between a Trump recovery and a Biden depression. That if you look at what Biden's policy proposals are, they literally would cause a depression. I'm a historian. You know much more about how the market works than I do. I mean, when you look at these two programs side by side, what's your reaction?
4: If you look at Biden's website, every program he has involves substantial increases in government spending, if not dramatic increases in government spending. And not one program says, here's how I'm going to encourage private sector businesses to create jobs and create growth. This is the same theory that Obama and Biden administration. They thought because there was this terrific, horrific recession, that the economy was just going to bounce back. They were forecasting 4% GDP growth when they first went into office. They said if the stimulus bill was passed, we would never hit 8% unemployment, that $800 billion in spending would keep unemployment below 8%. Well, unemployment hit 8% the month they passed it and stayed there for 43 months. They think that no matter what they do, the economy is going to bounce back. And it's just not true. They are going to spend us into a horrific situation. He's talking about raising taxes, $4 trillion to cover $11 trillion in spending, which is on top of our $24 trillion that we currently have in debt. I mean, these numbers will bankrupt America. The only way we can get out of this, the only way we can start to pay our debt down The only way we're going to see the kind of incredible results we saw in 2019 under President Trump, which, by the way, had the lowest poverty rate in the history of tracking the poverty rate going back 60 years, 10.5 percent, had the biggest decrease in the poverty rate going back 60 years. And the decrease was bigger for blacks, Hispanics and Asian-Americans. So every minority saw a decrease. We saw the biggest increase in median family income since the late 60s, when they started tracking median family income, we can get back to those kinds of dynamic numbers. 2019 really set a new bar, a pre-pandemic bar for where the economy needs to go to show success, with President Trump's policies of cutting taxes, reducing regulations, keeping a focus on domestic energy, and going forward with these renegotiated trade agreements, which really got cut off when the pandemic hit. I think we're going to get back to where we were, which is historically great numbers, in a very, very short period of time. Under President Biden, I don't think the economy may never recover. It certainly isn't going to recover during his presidency.
3: Shouldn't that be a fairly clear, simple message to the American people?
4: It should be very simple. Even income inequality, you know, the big bugaboo of the Democrats, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. Well, income inequality decreased in 2018 and 2019. In fact, in 2019, the share of wealth held by the lowest quintile, the lowest 24% of burgers, increased 2.4%. It all came from the top quintile. We've had an incredible year economically. It's been ignored. It's been covered up. It's really been censored. And it should be obvious to the American people.
3: Why do you think... The news media finds it so difficult to, A, report it, and B, learn any lesson at all from
4: it. Actually, I think it's very difficult for them to ignore it, but they manage to. They are so hateful of President Trump. You hear about Trump derangement syndrome, and initially it was kind of a joke phrase. I don't think it's a joke phrase anymore. I think these people have Trump derangement syndrome. And even though you can see that what's happening in the economy is that Trump is accomplishing all of the things that Democrats claimed that they would accomplish, all of the things that Obama and Biden were completely ineffective at accomplishing. Again, the kind of things Ronald Reagan accomplished for the economy, where working class Americans were better off, people had more money in their pockets. You'll recall this question back in 1984, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Well, 44% answered yes to that question. Today, 56% of Americans are answering that question positively, and we're in a recession and we're in a pandemic. I think the American people know that they're better off, but I don't think we've done a terrific job of explaining it in some simple enough terms that people can put their hands around the numbers.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
2: Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only. And that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O.
3: Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path. And now you can own a piece of that history. I am thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online.
0: a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.
3: What led you to decide to write The Capitalist Comeback?
4: After my experience with the Secretary of Labor nomination process, which was very discouraging for me, I wish that had gone better it became obvious to me that somebody needed to get out and talk about these economic policies that President Trump was implementing, what a complete revolution it was with the progressive agenda. He was reversing things progressives had been slowly putting in place for 100 years that were having a devastatingly negative impact on Americans and on the American economy. And I think somebody needed to kind of lay out the history. I was a history major in undergraduate school before I went to law school and would have actually gone like you and got my master's or a doctorate in history if I hadn't gone to law school. That's a subject I love. It's not being taught in our schools, and I thought it was important to lay it out for people, to put it down in writing, and say, here's where we were, here's the problems we had, and here's where we're going, and here's what'll happen if, uh, if we follow President Trump's policies. And luckily, we did turn the economy around, and the policies he implemented worked very well.
3: Well, and in that sense, The Capitalist Comeback is a book. You sort of wish Every mayor of a failing big city would read it, and every governor of a blue state that's losing population would read it because you captured the essence of what makes America work, and they seem to have no clue.
4: I wish they would read it. You know, the comment that I get the most about the book, you probably get this with all of your books as well, the comment I get the most is, This book should be required reading in a high school or college history course. It's the kind of thing that with the history books that are out there, Zinn's book and the rest of this garbage that they're teaching kids today, the history in here is the history they're missing. And one of the things I tried to do that I thought maybe I was a little better able to do than some others was tie the history to economics. You know, make it readable, but tie the history to the economics. So that was my effort. Whether I accomplished it or not is up to the reader, but that's what I
3: tried to do. So when you look ahead down the road, and you look at the rise of a centralized dictatorship like China, and you look at the decay of Europe, are you an optimist about the long-term power of capitalism and free markets to arouse entrepreneurs and create wealth despite all these problems? Or do you think that we're in a downward spiral? In some
4: countries, we've gone down and come back. For example, Denmark actually did go towards a more socialist form of government. And they came back. The same thing in Sweden. Sweden, they went to a very socialist-type system, found out it didn't work, and became very capitalist. In fact, Denmark, I think, ranked higher last year on the Heritage Foundation's Index of Economic Freedom than the United States, although it's the country that Bernie Sanders always uses as his example of how socialism works. Well, the Danes are very upset about that. In fact, Lars Rasmussen came to the United States back in 2016, spoke at Harvard, and said, look, You you guys have to stop saying that Sweden is not a socialist country. It's a free market economy. So I think you see some of these countries go towards socialism, realize it doesn't work, and then come back. In the United States, we have such a strong basis of entrepreneurs and such a strong history of people expecting to be able to improve their lives by their own will and their own talents and their own desires that I think that progressives are having an incredibly difficult time trying to kill capitalism here in the United States. If President Trump is reelected, I think we'll be set for at least another 20, 30 years because it'll be very difficult to convince people that this system doesn't work because it happens to be working so well. The various attacks that have been leveled against President Trump, I think is because he is an existential threat to everything progressives believe and everything they've been trying to convince the American people of. More government is not better for people. Limited government is better for people. The Constitution as it was originally enacted is better for people. And we've got 240 years of history to prove it.
3: I think one of the questions that I have is this gap where there are people who live like in California and New York, Chicago, who are almost in a different world now. That their experiences of big government, their experiences of the imposition. I was talking earlier with somebody about the rules, for example, for whether or not a church can open up. And then there's a level of dictatorial control, mostly in the blue states, that is kind of amazing. And I worry about whether or not the American people, or a substantial portion of them, ultimately decide that it's just too much trouble, and they're just going to let the bureaucracy tell them how to live.
4: Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I think there certainly are people in all of those states who feel, as you and I do, about the economy and about government. In fact, if you look at the states people are leaving, the people are leaving California, Illinois, New York. They're going to states like Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. I moved our whole company from California to Tennessee. I mean, it wasn't for the weather. I mean, I love Tennessee, but we lived in California for 25 years. The business has been there since 1941, but we just had to get out. And I think you see people who feel like They're being repressed in those states, luckily still have a choice and can get out and go to these other states, which is one of the reasons the Electoral College is so important. We need to make sure that states like California, New York are not dominating the political discussion in this country and that other states and other people have a voice. I go around and speak at colleges and universities when we're not locked down by a pandemic. And there's a real hunger, even at liberal schools where I've managed to get in and speak. There is a real hunger to hear about capitalism. And when I tell people that in a capitalist society, your goal, your desire, everything that you do is aimed at trying to make other people happy. In other words, you're always trying to meet the needs of your consumers. When I was selling burgers at Carl's Jr., I wasn't trying to figure out what kind of burgers I wanted to eat or the government elites wanted to eat. I was trying to figure out what kind of burgers these kids wanted to eat and to serve it to them. And that's any business. You're always trying to meet the needs of other people. Whereas in a socialist society, you're always trying to satisfy your own needs. You're always trying to get as much from the government as you possibly can. Uh, If You're standing in a line for food and inevitably in a socialist country, you will be standing in a line for food. You're not thinking about what the person in front of you or behind you wants. You're trying to figure out how you can get the most for yourself
3: when you get to the end of that line. I try to tell people that. Free enterprise means that you're a customer. Bureaucracy means you're a client. And if you're a customer, you're the center of gravity. If you're a client, the bureaucrat is the center of gravity. I have to tell you one quick story that one of the occasions when I got to fly on Air Force One with Reagan, Reagan would always come back and tell jokes. And he collected Soviet jokes. And this was during the period of Gorbachev and the collapse of the Soviet economy. And so he comes back and he says, Guy goes out in the morning and gets in line and waits about three and a half, four hours, gets to the front of the line. The guy says, oh, comrade, I'm sorry, we just sold the last of the pork. But I think if you go down the street, they still have sausages. So he goes down the street, he gets in line, he gets to the end of the line, the guy goes, oh, comrade, you just sold the last sausage. But I think if you go down a little further, there are some chickens. He goes down there and he starts to gripe about all this Gorbachev talk about perestroika and blasnost're out of this, they're out of that. guy behind him taps him on the shoulder, says, "I am KGB. Under comrade Brezhnev, what you just said would have gotten you shot as a traitor. But luckily for you, Comrade Gorbachev has created Perestroika, and you're allowed to speak. He goes home. His wife says, well, how are things? He said, it's worse than ever. They're out of bullets. <laughs> yeah.
4: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real positive for Reagan. He, was, he had a great yeah. sense of humor. That's had right. A great and delivery. I,
3: well, it, makes you, it made him accessible because he's laughing. It's in fact, we have a picture of he and I on the plane, both in our rolled up shirts, and we're both laughing at something he had just said. And it makes you feel like, okay, this guy's normal. I can reach him. Let me ask you one last thing. How do we somehow get young people to understand the power of entrepreneurship and their opportunity to go out and, if they're willing to work hard, have an extraordinary future as opposed to just staying inside the bureaucracy and accepting 30 years or 40 years of work and a pension? How do we make it vivid and attractive? for them to decide they want to really be in the game.
4: I think going out and speaking to these kids is very important, offering them examples, letting them see people who have accomplished and achieved from very meager beginnings, that they really have a chance to do this, that despite what they're being told in school, despite what they're being taught, they really do have a chance to achieve their goals and accomplish whatever they choose to accomplish in life. I think Betsy DeVos has a very important role in this. We need to get school choice. We need to do the kinds of things that would allow us to terminate bad teachers, for example, that would make schools competitive. You know, One message that really resonates with young people, and matter of fact, it came up in the area of health insurance. I was speaking at Davidson College, and one of the students said, how can you get up here and talk about, there are people dying in the streets because they don't have health insurance and people need health insurance. He said, you know, how can you not be all for Medicare for all? And I said, look, nobody's dying in the streets. But let's leave that aside. From, let's look at what you and I can agree with. Could we agree that we should improve the quality of health care and reduce the price, that that's what we need to do? He said, yeah. He said, that's absolutely what we need to do. I said, well, then you'll enjoy this because there's only one thing in history that has ever improved quality and reduced price. You know what it is? Kid just stared at me. Everybody in the audience just stared at me. It's it's competition. It's the only thing that can reduce price and improve quality. You want the government here. That's the one thing that government doesn't have. The government doesn't compete with anybody. You want to take competition out of the system. And there's no answer to that. They really don't have a response. If We can just get them thinking. You know, it's kind of like King Arthur at the end of Camelot when he finds out that the kid comes up and asks him where the round table is. And he says, you know, you heard about it. You heard about justice and, you know, civil law. Kids says even though he's going into a war he feels relieved by that because kids knew the message was out there i think if we get the message out there americans are smart enough to pick up on this and we can turn this around look we elected donald trump that wasn't an accident people know something's wrong and you know if god's with us we'll elect him again
3: yeah and i think frankly if we do elect him again we will see the recovery next year i think he keeps saying next year will be the best year in american history I think he's probably right. The explosiveness of the entrepreneurial comeback will be amazing and just remarkable. Thank you, this has been great. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers and our producer is Garnsey Slump. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich360. Please email me with your questions at Gingrich360.com slash questions. I'll answer a selection of questions in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.